Hey everyone, welcome to the Throwback Bookstack. Thank you all for joining us for our second episode. Today we are going to be talking about the book The True Confessions of Charlotte Doyle. It sounds very salacious, sounds very exciting. I'm not sure it's either one, but we are here to talk about it with you all today. Uh, my name is Kelly. And I'm Emily. And we're really excited to get into this book. So The Truth Confessions of Charlotte Doyle is a piece of historical fiction that was published in 1990. It is by Avi, and it takes place in 1832, and it's about 13-year-old Charlotte Doyle and her adventures coming to Providence, Rhode Island, from England. Yes, and I read this book when I was younger. I have never read this book, so I was very excited to do so. Um, a little frightened, but also very excited. Emily is very into historical fiction. <laughs> I was. And I still kind of am. The only thing I remembered about this book, I remembered it was about a girl who eventually becomes kind of like a sailor. And I remembered the one scene very vividly where she has to climb to the top of the mast that made like a huge impression on me. But I did not remember the rest of it. And when this book opened, like the first line is something like, not many 13 year old girls are ever put on trial for murder. I was like, a what now? <laughs> And then I was like, man, did I just trick myself into reading a mystery? But don't worry, the mystery is not very good. So. There's no mystery. It was really a setup that, yeah, I felt like when I read the introduction, like, oh, wow, there's going to be this whole thing about the trial. It was not nearly as exciting as the sort of introduction led me to believe. No. But I guess that's a good time then to give the summary of it. So as I said, this book takes place in 1832. And Charlotte Doyle is in England. Her parents have already gone across the sea with her two younger siblings to Rhode Island. And for many reasons that she lays out, she's been left to finish up her finishing school before heading across the ocean. She's very excited for this boat adventure and is looking forward to it. And there's supposed to be various other families on board and other girls she'll get to talk to. Except when she gets on the boat, it turns out all the other passengers that were supposed to be there and look after her have not made the boat. And several of the sailors warn her about getting on board. There seems to be something very terrifying about this captain that everyone is sort of running away from. But she gets on the boat, she's very determined, and they set sail. Basically, right off the bat, things seem a bit odd. One of the sailors, Zachariah, who is also the only black man aboard the ship, comes and meets her fairly early on and gives her a dirk or a knife to help keep her safe from unnamed dangers on board. Afterwards, other sailors warn her about being on the ship. The captain also tries to and succeeds at sort of charming her. He's very upper crust and also upper class like she is, and that lets her know that if anything suspicious comes up, she should let him know right away. And she's absolutely on board with this. As time goes on, she gets to know the crew better, but she also reports sort of everything that happens to the captain and gives all this information to him about the day-to-day -day life on the ship. Eventually, one of the crew members named Ewing, his needle breaks while he is helping sew a sail, and basically he sends her to go get one downstairs from the one place that she doesn't go. One thing to note about this is the captain is terrible. Everyone hates the captain. And basically, he's known for being incredibly cruel. He drives them all incredibly hard. He cut the arm off of a man on their previous voyage. So everyone here is out to get the captain. So when she goes to get the needle, she finds in um, the box with it a pistol. And she also sort of overhears a brewing mutiny, which is the big concern that the captain has. The captain then uses his muskets to overturn the mutiny after she reports what she's seen downstairs. Um, it turns out there's also a stowaway on board, Mr. Cranick, who is the one whose arm he amputated on a previous voyage. He then shoots Mr. Cranick, and Charlotte is basically left to 
be in this situation where she has betrayed the entire crew and they are super pissed at her. She then tries to sort of defend the crew um, against the situation as the captain decides to whip her friend Zachariah and she grabs the whip and she accidentally scars the captain's face. As a result, he is now full of hate for her. He hates everything about her. He's out to get her. The rest of the crew is mad. The captain's mad. Everyone hates Charlotte at this moment, but she decides that she's going to be part of the crew. Zachariah dies. Zach. Okay. Also, Zachariah dies. <laughs> well... We'll get into this. Zachariah <laughs> is whipped so badly that he dies. And but and then at this point, they're down several crew members from the mutiny. And so Charlotte volunteers to be a member of the crew. She goes and dresses herself in clothing that Zachariah had made for her, trousers, which was very inappropriate, and joins the crew. And the captain accepts it, kind of, and drives her just as hard as the others. She gains the acceptance of the crew after she climbs the mast 150 feet in the air to sort of prove that she can. Slowly, she gets herself back into the good graces-ish of the crew. But, but the problem is, at some point, a hurricane approaches, and their ship, the Seahawk, goes into the hurricane, because the captain thinks that if they just sort of ride the edge, he can push them to shore and get into Providence even faster, which his goal is always to deliver goods as fast and efficiently as possible. So, the, except they go into the hurricane, and the master gets ripped down, the crew is desperately trying to keep them afloat, and the first mate, Mr. Hollybrass, is very much against the move that the captain made because of the risk to the ship. After the hurricane, they come and find that under the mast, they find the body of Mr. Hollybrass, who has been stabbed in the back with the dirk that Zachariah gave Charlotte at the beginning of the voyage. He is also clutching her handkerchief in a very dramatic murder mystery style moment. So Captain Jaggerty is the basically the judge, jury, and hangman, and he decides that if Charlotte is willing to be tried and not hide behind her father's name, as her father is one of the owners of the company that owns the ship, that the, her fellow crewmen will judge whether or not she is guilty. And they all decide, yeah, she's, yep, she's guilty. Hang her. So she has 24 hours before she gets hanged. As she's down in the hold, she finds out, oh wait, Zachariah is not dead. Zachariah is alive. And his crewmen pretended he was dead to keep him alive so that when they got to shore, he would be able to sneak off the boat and report what was happening and hopefully find justice for the crew. Of course, Charlotte immediately thinks Zachariah is obviously the killer. But what we find out is that Zachariah helps her get out and we find out that in fact, Zachariah is not the killer. She's not the killer. The captain is the killer. The second mate, Mr. Keach, has actually been informing on them the entire time. Jaggerian attempts to kill Charlotte in front of the whole crew. Zachariah helps her escape out and hatch a plan. She escapes and she sneaks into the captain's quarters, presumably to hide his muskets. So the crew can then go through with a successful mutiny without the threat of firearms against them. Except the captain's already there. Since Mr. Keach has been informing on him, they know that Zachariah is alive. They know everything. She has three options. She can try and take the muskets and then disrespect her family and herself by killing the captain, at which point we'll raise way more questions when they get to shore. She can put on her proper clothes and become a proper girl again, and they will forgive her for her trespasses, or she can get hanged in the morning. She ends up having a fight with the captain, and he falls off the bow of the ship and drowns. At which point, Zachariah decides there will be a new captain, and he names Charlotte the captain, which everyone agrees to, though Zachariah actually does all the work, and then they go into shore. Um, at that point, basically, she rejoins her family, realizes she hates it with there because they are very proper and expect very specific things of her. Her father reads her journal of the trip and is horrified by it and tells her they will never speak of it again. After he burns it, she runs off and rejoins the ship, and they go sailing once again. So this plot is kind of convoluted, and it made me realize why the only part I remember is the part where they describe her climbing. 
And it's because that is basically the only cool part in the entire book, in my opinion. That and, oh, there, at the end of the book, there is a little passage that shows you how to tie some certain knots, and you guys should all learn it, because it's very important to know how to tie a few good knots. It also talks about how, what, like, boats and the arrangement of boats, and there's a thing on the recipe for duff. Oh there's a lot of great sailing stuff at the end. Yeah, read through the, the end, because that's pretty interesting. Also, that diagram of a boat needed to be at the beginning, because I was confused this entire thing. <laughs> Every time he tries to describe how a boat looks or what she's doing... I got confused. I don't know if his descriptions were off or if I just can't understand what boats look like or what, but I was always just like, you know what? Screw it. I don't care. She climbs something. That's all I care about. <laughs> like, I know what boats look like. I have watched all the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, but yeah, a lot of the terms are fairly technical in terms of they get really specific, which shows it's well-researched, but the diagrams at the end were way helpful and definitely would have been good at the beginning. Yeah, I mean, he uses, he does that thing you're not supposed to do where he like almost uses the definition to try and define what things are. Like, at one point, he's like, I had to climb out to free the jib line because it was on the bow spit, you see. And I'm like, I that didn't see. clarify it. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't help. <laughs> um, that scene is so cool because it's basically just, like, her describing what it's like to climb up really high and also be on something that's, like, moving around. And it's terrifying, and as someone who has climbed a lot of things in my life, I mean, at the point when I read this, I'd only climbed trees, but it still rang true. Now I've climbed on, like, a lot of things, guys. <laughs> it's very true to what it's like to climb up high on something, and, like, I've had harnesses on when I do it. Things move in the air, and it feels like they're moving a lot more than they are, and, like, you seem like you're a lot higher up than you are, and, like, 150 feet just straight up is no joke. If you were in a building, sure, yeah, I get it. Ooh, who cares? I'm on, what, the sixth floor? Have you ever just climbed a waving stick 150 feet? The sixth floor is not 150 feet. I have no clue how high 150 <laughs> feet is in terms of floors. <laughs> well, I, so, yeah, because I regularly climb something that's 70 feet, and so picturing twice that, I'm like, no, I don't ever want to do that. That sounds terrible. That's horrifying. I don't like being 70 feet in the air. I do oh, not want to ever be 150. It sounds so cool. One of my goals in life someday is to get to walk out on the end of a crane. It's a terrible goal. I hate this goal. I love it. I mean, obviously, it's my goal. <laughs> anyway. You're going to keep that goal, and I'm going to go very far from that goal. I'm getting off subject. My point is that's my favorite scene. I have... A yeah. lot of problems with this book. I didn't hate it. I saw it when I was reading it, but then I got done and I realized that all my highlights were like angry highlights. There were things like, why did you do this? What does this mean? I'm going to start with telling you all that this whole book apparently takes place in two months. And I have a lot of problems with that timeline because a lot happens, including her being like, it took me two weeks to even do this. And then the whole thing of her becoming a sailor she apparently learns everything there is to learn about sailing, becomes this awesome sailor, develops calluses and the ability to climb around like a monkey in, like, literally a week. Yeah. That doesn't happen. No. You know what happens at the end of that week? You have torn up, blistered hands and sunburns. You haven't miraculously healed over to have a fantastic leather tan and calluses. Like, yeah, it's... It, the timeline is crazy just because there was a moment early on, I realized, like, this is two months, where it seemed like, wow, not a lot happens for two months. Then it's, like, also, at the same time, too much happens. Too much is accomplished, but it felt like there were huge chunks of this book where there wasn't much, and yet then things got very intense very quickly. The timeline is just really strange. Yeah, I also felt like all the adults in this book were kind of dumb. Like, yeah. 
Like, this mutiny? They really fucked up this mutiny. This like, mutiny was super easy. There is one captain that everyone hates. Everyone hates this guy. They could have just gone in and killed him. But he has ten muskets, so he's impervious to them. They snuck He doesn't his- have ten arms! Yeah! He's just him. Maybe one of his first mates? Maybe. That's two guys. They snuck pistols on board. We know they have pistols. They have a lot of knives. There are a lot of knives on this ship, but oh man... Guy with ten muskets, everyone be afraid. Also, they're locked in a box in his quarters. Get to him when he's not in his quarters, and you're fine. Just literally shoot him in the back at any point in time. Why are they also afraid to kill him if that was their whole point, was revenge? Yeah. Like, for people who are like, man, I only got back with this sadistic, abusive captain because I'm out for revenge, they sure are unwilling to kill him. I don't understand why they doing about this way. If you're going to get on a two-month voyage with someone that makes you miserable and abuses you constantly for two months, you better be willing to do something about it for revenge. If you're not, don't get on that boat. Don't get on the boat. I also don't understand. They're all like, well, we warned you, Charlotte, not to come. And it's like, you warned her when she was already on the boat with no family and no plan. And like at a time period when A 13-year-old girl couldn't just go out by herself and get a hotel room. What did you expect her to do? The closest they warned her was when she was on the dock with the person who was in charge of getting her on the boat. There wasn't an option for her not to get on the boat. Yeah, it's not like that guy was like, yeah, you're right. If you don't want to get on the boat, you can come home. Like, he was like, listen, I'm leaving whether you're on the boat or not, so. If they actually wanted to get her not on the boat, they should have talked to any other boat also going to the Americas and been like, hey... Can you take this girl and made some sort of arrangement with other sailors or something to get the other passengers not to be on the boat? Right? Yeah, I had so many issues with the sailors. They were so, like, bumbling, like, what? Plans? I don't understand. For people that have this whole underground conspiracy, they are terrible underground conspiracies. And these are people that have successfully snuck stowaways on the boat twice. Like, they're very good at keeping people secret on the boat. Except when they really need to. Yeah, I also don't think that he knows how knives work. Because he specifically specifically has a few scenes where he talks about what the knives do. They're like in 1832 on a ship and all of them own the sharpest knives in the world. At one point, she has to climb up in the rigging during this hurricane that they're sailing through and cut the sail loose. She's just indiscriminately slicing every rope around, like, she accidentally slices through a bunch of other ones and stuff, and she even talks about how, like, she barely even has to press. As soon as the knife hits the rope, it just goes right through. And I'm like, that is not how- what is this magic knife? Have you seen the ropes that they use on ships? Yeah, that must be the worst rope ever. Like, I'm pretty sure my kitchen knives couldn't do that to yarn. I was like, so, this is a hurricane, and the ropes won't break in a hurricane- but this knife can just, like, no, you'd have to saw through. And, like, the whole point is this because that way it cuts so easy that that's how she accidentally, like, cuts off the rope that she was going to climb down. No, you would have to saw through all of this. That's Especially not real. wet rope. Yeah. It's Look, not great on that respect. Again, not giving too much about my life away, but I climb on things and I cut a lot of things with knives, okay? <laughs> the mystery of Emily's life continues. Full of knives and climbing. That's not how knives work, I guess was my point. That's fair. (laughs) It's not how knives work. I didn't hate this book, but I hated her. Yeah, now that I'm rereading it as an adult, there's a lot of filling in the blanks that I get that I didn't when I was a kid. That's exactly what I was wondering about, because when I was reading it, like, 
First, I want to say the one thing that saved her for me was that opening chapter where it's an intro from her as an adult saying, I am no longer this child. This child was naive. Like, I am still Charlotte Doyle, but I'm a different Charlotte Doyle. This is someone who existed in my youth. And I'm like, okay, cool. We are being set up that this is a naive child. Like, it is being established. So I went in with that mindset. But I was so curious because so often in the book, as an adult reading it, I can see, obviously, how she's being manipulated, how the captain is pumping her for information, how the crew members are using her. So she's being very obviously manipulated, but I'm like, I'm an adult reader. I feel like this is obvious, but I is it obvious? Yeah, and also, like, the time period. I think they gloss over a lot of how, why she's so, like, obedient and meek a lot of the times. I want to strangle you a little, but I also get that it's, like, there's one or two kind of throwaway sentences where it was like, well, this was how I was raised, was to never question this or that I had to do this. Maybe that is true of the time period that you weren't afforded these options and you were told to be this way and it was drilled into you, but you're really not setting that up. You're expecting us to know that. And I'm not sure as a child I did. Yeah, so often they really focus on how she's judging people, like really about the clothes of the captain and how he treats her and that, you know, he's upper class and that sort of respect that she gives him. And they often focus on these really sort of shallow ways that she's judging people and they don't give a lot of context for it, which I kind of get in the sense that they're showing sort of her mindset on things. But I feel like it's not really doing a service to the character or the reader to not give us a little more to sort of help create better sympathy for her as a character because I don't feel any of it. I don't feel any of it. Yeah, I didn't like her and I also didn't really love most of the other characters. No, there was no one fun in this book. There was no one engaging. Zacharias is as close as you really get to someone that I like because he's the most competent of any of them. And he smiles and stuff. I think you're right. There was no one fun and they all ruined it by being like real dumb. That mutiny, guys. It's not that hard. It's not that hard. Just shoot him. That was your whole plan, right? Why are they so hesitant to kill him? I mean, I'm not going around- I've never been in a mutiny, but I feel like it's not as hard as they make it seem. I mean, I again, I feel weird advocating for murder, but like, if that was your whole plan, they're all acting like there's nothing they can do. And this one man is just wielding power in this crazy way where it's like, really? That was your plan? You were like, we're gonna mutiny. And then as soon as like, well, I have a gun too, they're like, ah, oh, shit, you're right. All right, plan's off, Sorry, guys. guys. <laughs> Well, and especially it was really not clear at a lot of points what the crew's motivation was in some ways. Because they're getting to the trial. The trial, the trial, where they all decide she's guilty of murder. And sort of the thought that she theorizes afterwards is they knew, since they knew Zachariah was alive, they had thought Zachariah was the killer. And so we're trying to sort of protect him from the captain by blaming her. Except... That's her assumption, and all of her assumptions tend to be wrong. So it becomes very unclear. Also, the fact that she immediately thought her friend, who took good care of her, who was so nice, was like, oh, yes, he was probably definitely the murderer. Like, that's not great. Yeah, they never explicitly say if that was the reason they all decided she was guilty, and that part never made sense to me, because I was like, why would they think she's guilty? Everyone is shocked when they find out it's the captain, which makes zero sense, because it's like, oh, man. The guy who was this bad guy the whole time, who's been abusing everyone, who already killed one person, killed the other person? Shocking! It's presented as kind of like a twist that they figure out, and I'm like, how is this not everyone's suspicion from the beginning? So did you guys think she was guilty? Because if so, you are dumber than a pile of rocks. Yeah, instead we're gonna make the really questionable racist sketchy choice of, yes, let's blame the nice black man on the boat? That's not great, guys. The evil captain continues to be evil. 
He is evil the whole time. There's no break in his evil. Yeah, it was also really hard to read the trial because it's presented as she just gets overwhelmed by like the captain just doing this kind of mansplaining, interrupting everything she says and giving this logic that's kind of fucked up. But is you know, I've been in those seats where later like, wait a minute, that didn't even make sense. But it's just someone kind of yelling at you and interrupting you and telling you you're wrong in like a way that just overwhelms her. And it's also, you know, a 45 to 50-year-old man doing this to a 13-year-old girl. So, of course, the crew is, like, definitely guilty. Yeah. Right? Definitely. And it was just hard to read because it was like, I just kept being like, speak up for yourself. <laughs> but she never does. Even at the end when he's like, do you have any words to say to you offend yourself? And she was just like, no. Really? <laughs> yeah, she's not great. She doesn't have a lot of engaging moments other than exactly as you said, when she goes and climbs the mast and claims herself as part of the crew. That's really like the one time in the book where she really seems to want to be herself and engage in a way that's actually sympathetic and interesting. Other than that, she spends a lot of time assuming people will forgive her for her ignorance and also continue to make bad life choices. And like makes sense again when you kind of know the context of the time period, but you're not given a lot of clues. Like the fact that after sort of she accidentally causes a whip mark on the captain's face and there's a whole thing with the crew and they talk about her being an informer and they now see her as a traitor. The first person she tries to go get forgiveness from is the captain is just not sympathetic in any way. It doesn't feel great. It makes sense, but not in a way that was enjoyable to read. Yeah, it kind of makes it seem like the crew is the backup only because her first choice was still mad at her. Yeah, which it kind of was. I mean, they have one good point in this whole book, I thought, where when she's having this conversation and they yell at, like, it's one of the crew members and he yells at her for basically she didn't trust anything that Zachariah said. And he's like, oh, is it because it came from an older black man? And she was like, kind of doesn't say anything. And then she's trying to, like, apologize and be like, I'm sorry, I didn't think. And he's like, yeah, that's kind of the problem with the upper classes is that they don't think about the consequences. Those two lines could definitely be explored a little more, but they're not. It's literally two quick throwaway lines that aren't even the most important lines in their whole argument, and it's never really touched on again. And there's no real weight to a lot of things. Like, there's a point in the book where the assumption is, she got two men killed. Her informing got two men killed in front of her. They are murdered in front of her. And... She doesn't really seem to feel anything. There's not really any emotional impact. She's basically responsible at one point for the death of two people violently in front of her, watching a man get whipped, and she doesn't really have any sort of emotional impact from that. And that is deeply upsetting to me. There's actually a pretty hilarious section where she, after this happens, it's like her, so she sees the two men die, and then she gets in the fight with the captain, the crew won't talk with her. She keeps going back to her cabin and crying. But each time she's like, but it was mostly just crying for how sad my life was. <laughs> it's like, ah! Um. <laughs> Every time she makes a point of pointing that out, I was just crying because I felt real bad about my life. I don't have any friends. <laughs> you don't deserve friends. You are the worst friend. We all have that friend that rats on you to everyone and spreads gossip. And that's Charlotte Doyle. She's the worst friend. She's that friend you can't tell anything to. It will end up on Facebook. 
Yeah, which was kind of crazy too, where they gloss over a lot, like I said, they just have this magical week, I guess, where it kind of glosses over everything and is like, and I became a sailor, I got blisters and they turned into calluses, which again, it does not happen that fast. Which I would love, if you could just get a blister and it's a callus, I would basically be made of armor at this point. Yes. That'd be amazing. That's not how that works. And she like gets a tan immediately and her skin turns like dark. And um, she learns how to climb and stuff so good, she can literally do every single task that all these sailors who have been working for years can do. And she can climb up the rigging no problem anymore and stuff. First off, this is unattainable in this timeline. Yeah. Second of all, you are the worst, and I don't think you would actually (laughs) make a good sailor no matter how much time you had. The fact that she was suddenly able to adjust to working a 17-hour day doesn't seem correct. And it's just, like, just your personality and how, like, timid and, like, wishy-washy and all that. But suddenly you're great. And it's, like, again, if it was, like, oh, you're not the same person because you've been through this long thing. But it's, but you kind of are because even after all that happens, like, you become a good sailor and you're friends with the crew. But then you still assume that Zachariah killed the second first she mate She makes the same mistakes over and over. And I think that's a great point. She doesn't seem to really learn she sort of figures out what she wants for herself and what makes her feel good, but she doesn't seem to actually develop and learn lessons or really develop any sort of deeper friendship with people or any deeper connection in a way that proves that she's really learning to accept them and appreciate them. And she also doesn't learn how to read people or read a room ever. I mean, she is 13. I guess. So when she does, at the end of the book, goes back to her family. At first you think that she's going to try and adjust back. And she has one lie that she thought of where her mom asked why she cut off her hair. And she's like, I had lice. But then she stops trying to lie and is immediately trying to tell them about the crew. The way she introduces it is like in such weird ways. Kerma would be like, I'm sorry that the families weren't on the ship with you. You must have been lonely. And she'd be like, no, I talked to the crew. And her mom would be like, okay, I'm sure you don't mean that you actually hung out with all these older rough men. And she'd be like, mom, they're a cool guy. Like, And her father was constantly shutting things down and she didn't get the hint. And especially when he asked for her journal, because she was supposed to take a journal of her whole time. And she realized, oh no, I wrote this whole journal about what actually happened and forgot he was going to read it. You lie and say you lost it. You lie. Don't right. give it to him. Why would you do that? Well, it was just so weird because I'm like, what are you doing here? Are you trying to lie and pretend that none of this happened and be like, oh, I cut off my hair because of lice? Or are you trying to convince your mom that working sailors are cool people? Because you're not going about that a good way if you are. Yeah, pick, or one, like, pick one and stick to it. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> her motivations were clear. Although, actually, her return was one of the few things I really liked about her. I actually, while I didn't understand what she was trying to do. I liked her commitment to it. I liked that she was like, no, they're cool. And then that she finally just runs away. Because so often sort of these kind of books end with, you know, the character who's the fish out of water goes back to their home and they've learned and they've grown and maybe they want to go back, but they don't. They've learned to like bring those lessons into their actual life. And she's like, no, I'm going to run away and be a pirate. I'm done. I'm going to run away and be a sailor. And I'm, I'm over this. Goodbye. Goodbye, civilization, upper class society. I now live on the sea. So I kind of like that she just ran away because so often we get this much more mature sort of journey into bringing your experiences into your own life. And I thought, I like that she was like, nah, I don't like my life. Bye. Because There's a very id part of me that loves that. My inner id child was just like, yes, run away to the sea. Go back on this boat and they're super cool with that after everything that went down. 
Yeah, I didn't mind her running away. It was just like the way she dealt with her family was so weird. I was like, I don't. And like, let's consider her running away for a minute. Let's take a journey through this. She's run away and gone back on a boat that is owned by a company that is owned by her father. And she's not going to get caught someday. How? Yeah, she's not good at critical thinking. But then again, she's on the right crew for that because none of them are. Given that the captain's solution to her becoming a crew member was claiming in the captain's log that Miss Charlotte Doyle was lost, but they have this Mr. Doyle on the crew. I'm super expecting that her new name on the crew is Mr. Doyle in the logs and she will get super found out. I mean, there's also the point where he basically blackmails her because he's like, well, you can't kill me because how will you explain my death? And then later when he does die, they're like, oh, I died in a storm. And I was like, yeah, that was a super easy lie, guys. Yeah, if she'd taken the muskets and shot you, she could have thrown your body overboard. They're still in the middle of the ocean. People... We will explain it as you died at sea. You got dysentery? You fell overboard? There's a thousand things that could happen in an overseas voyage. No one's going to look that closely. Right. People die on boats all the time. Like, who cares? You can think of a thousand lies. Especially in the 1830s. So I think the best book, or the best quote in this entire book comes from the end of the book. So we kind of skipped over it. There was this whole premise that she was writing a journal the entire time because her dad asked her to, to work on her grammar and her spelling. And it's kind of like, when did she have time to write in this journal when she was a crew member or like imprisoned or all this? I feel like she kind of forgot about the journal. It's not really mentioned much. And so it made it appearing at the end super weird. Right. But anyway, so her dad reads the journal and is basically like, what the actual hell? So then he calls her into the study and he burns the journal in front of her. And this quote is amazing. So she's upset that he threw the journal in the fire. I made a move towards it. Stop, my father cried. Let it burn. But, that's Charlotte. And then he says, to ash! (laughs) And I just love how super dramatic it is. What? That's not something someone would say. It's not, but it's so dramatic that it kind of fits in with the fact that these people are way overdramatic in some ways and way underdramatic in others. I mean, her dad's a dick, but I kind of like him. He's so theatrical. He also later goes on this entire paragraph-long rant about how bad her spelling and grammar still is in the journal. I can't believe you made up this story and also insulted the captain. But also, let's talk about your spelling. And then, like, goes off on a tangent about how bad her spelling was. And I'm like, I don't know (laughs) if this is supposed to be comedic relief at the end of the book, or if this is serious, or if it's supposed to be some weird characterization thing about her dad. There's no way to know. There was no obvious tone, but it was great. Yeah, it was pretty good. But the to Ash is my favorite quote in the entire book. I have a quote I like. Mm. If you want to hear the quote I like. Yes. Regarding Captain Jaggerty, the log read simply, At the crew's urging, I wrote that our noble captain had kept his post at the wheel during the hurricane, only to be swept away in the storm's final hour. Mr. Hollybrass was afforded the same heroic death. I have been skeptical of accounts of deceased heroes ever since. I'm like, good, okay, you learned one thing. <laughs> Here is the thing you learned. Yeah, that was also good. Oh man, I do have a quote, though, that kind of also... I hate to be a bummer, because we just had these very nice quotes that sort of sum up nice things. And I have kind of a bummer quote that sums up why I have frustrations with her. This is from earlier in the book. It's before she goes through all these experiences, so she is technically less character developed, and yet... So this is the point where, basically, Zachariah has given her 
some clothing. He made her a blouse and trousers because if she's going to be running around the ship assisting them, dresses would be really inconvenient for that. So he's trying to be helpful, make her nice, convenient outfit for running around on a ship all day, especially, you know, also help preserve her nice dresses. And while I thanked him kindly, in fact, I took the gift as a warning that I'd been forgetting my station. I told him, rather stiffly, I fear, that I thought it was not proper for me, a girl, a lady, to wear such apparel. But so as not to offend too deeply, I took the blouse and trousers to my cabin. Later on, I admit, I tried the garments on, finding them surprisingly comfortable until, shocked, I remembered myself. Hurriedly, I ripped them off, resolving not to stoop so low again. I hate everything about those words. I get it for the character, but my soul hurts when I read them. I don't think she develops enough past that person. Typically, you get the, you know upper crust girl in a fish out of water situation and she grows and she learns and I don't think she grew and learned enough. Yes, she learned to put on pants and trousers and have a different haircut, but it doesn't seem like those changes went enough for her to really appreciate gifts from someone who was trying to help her and accommodate her and she just sees them as a warning and I just feel like that lack of perspective doesn't end within the actual text. Yeah, you also don't see the setup for that. Unless you are older and know this existed, you don't understand that she's also dealing with 13 years of it being drilled into her head that the worst thing you could be is improper or why she's so upset about this. So it's like you don't get it on both ends. You don't get the feeling that she ever develops out of this and you don't really get why she's like that to begin with. Yeah, and I feel like you need to pick one or the other. Like, I'm definitely a fan of books that don't feel like they have to explain every little detail. I'm a fan of books that can sell themselves enough on their world building that they kind of bring you along without having to spell out the history or the concept. But I feel like this book doesn't quite get there. As an adult reader, I do get it. But as a kid, I don't know that I would. I kind of wish I had read this as a kid just because I would love to know what that experience is like. I would love to know how I would have interpreted it because as an adult, I could see these things, but I just don't know. You know, kids aren't dumb. They pick up on all things. They know a lot of things, but I don't know with some of this if I would have had enough context. Yeah, rereading this as an adult, really, I was like, oh, so that's why I've forgotten most of it. Because I think it just was either boring, or I didn't like her, or things went over my head, or I didn't understand. Like, none of this stuck with me, except for that one scene. And it's it's frustrating, because so much of this fits up in such a great classic adventure novel-style situation. I mean, you start off with her being told, her with this introduction where she's being t- telling you as a reader, oh yeah, I was this different naive girl, but there was a murder and a trial, and it really feels like it's setting you up for something much more exciting and grand than we ever got. It feels like we're supposed to be getting this really great high seas adventure, maybe a bit of mystery with some real stakes that while the stakes happen, we never get any sort of impact for them. Yeah, and I couldn't remember how the book ended. So like, I remember that she ran away and went back on the boat, but I didn't remember anything else. And so when they set up that the trial happened... I kept waiting for it to be, they get to shore and there's a huge scandal and there's newspapers and there's the people who are like, this 13-year-old girl, murder on a ship. But it wasn't. It was just, oh, so the abusive guy just sat you in a room and abused you some more. That was it. That was the trial. It's not even a real trial, dude. I mean, they do set that up a lot. Like, they did really mention a couple times about how, like, as the captain, he's the ultimate voice. Like, he is the judge and the jury. But I also, yeah, I feel kind of like, Either they need to have some sort of impact when they got back to shore. It felt like this is a really contained world. 
or the really contained world needed to have higher stakes and more drama happening in it. Because it is really fascinating where you have this world where everything happens and there's all these things, and then you get to the shore and none of that has an impact. It's like these things never happen. Like that contrast I find really interesting. And I don't think they really set that up well. I don't feel like they went strongly in any direction. I feel like there was a lot of directions being headed in that none of them were really committed to. The only other thing I have to say about this book is that I'm usually a pro books that don't have a romance in them, but I do think there was a different version of this book and a better version where there is a romance and it's with Ewing, who I always <gasps> picture as Ewan McGregor, first off, because their names sound similar, and also they keep hammering in the point that he is Scottish. And he's one of the crew members who has absolutely no effect on the plot, but she always mentions him in, like, ways where he's just like, I was just talking to him, or, like, we were sitting around, I love his Scottish accent, you know he has a mermaid tattoo, and he tells me about this girlfriend he has back home. And then when she is going back to live with her family, she makes special mention that he gives her kisses goodbye, which I think are, like, innocent on the cheeks, but uh-huh, still. Uh-huh. And that he whispers, you're my mermaid now. I'm just going to channel this moment of seeing this in my head as Ewan McGregor, especially, like, a young Ewan McGregor. And I'm just going to live in that space because yeah. I'm really enjoying that thought. I think there's a much better book where it's, like, Ewan McGregor as a pirate and this stowaway lady who becomes a pirate and they live together. I just want the story of Ewan McGregor as a pirate. But I, the one thing I do like about that, because I'm also with you, I'm always a fan of books without romances, but... I think it would have been interesting because it would have given another member of the crew a real stake in trying to save her. And I think it would have been interesting to see Zachariah and Ewing both trying to save her with different information that both of them have access to and like different points of view and different goals. Because I think that could have made her trial much more dramatic. And especially when she's down in the hold, imprisoned, if both of them were trying to rescue her from different points of view. And just having, it could have been really interesting, especially just having someone else on her side and giving her a real relationship where there was some sort of impact other than her just taking and taking from other people. Yeah. So that was my only thoughts. And especially that would have made it really interesting at the point where she goes to get his needles and that's when she sort of gets aware of the conspiracy. So that I think would have made that betrayal of him being the one that put her in a situation to gain that information and then her passing that information on, it would have made that a situation with an actual friction and an actual sort of antagonistic dynamic, which would have made the book interesting as opposed to what it is now, which is not interesting. I know. It's a much better book, y'all. I like this book. (laughs) I would read this book. That's all my thoughts on this. That's kind of all I have. So Uh, shall we get to our ratings then? Yeah. I would give this book maybe like four stars. Four out of ten. Yeah. What's our system? Four out of ten. Four out of ten. I didn't actively hate it, mostly, but the more I thought about it, the more I was like, this doesn't make sense, and also, there's a reason I never reread this as a child, and also, I don't ever want to reread it now, and I just really, I don't think I would really recommend it to any kids I know, but also if I saw them reading it, I wouldn't be like, what a terrible book! I'd just be like, it wasn't for me, but I guess if you like it... I do kind of want to see you walk up to some children and swat this book out of their hands. It's not a swatting book. (sighs) I... That's tough, because I was thinking four stars, but I'm torn a little bit. I was thinking five, because I'm like, I don't hate this book. This book is average. What I do actually... This book is less than average for me. I would have probably enjoyed something a little more average. So I'm thinking four, but... 
maybe even three. This is a tough choice because I'm trying to think just how deep my non-enjoyment goes because there's nothing blatantly egregiously terrible about it, but I don't have anything to recommend it. And so while it's not horrible, I feel like four is a good rating. Yeah, I'm going to say four. I think that's... I don't regret having read it. I don't feel like I wasted my time, but I definitely feel like I could have used that time for literally anything else and been great. Yeah, I kept... This is a good book to read if you want to, like, force yourself to do other things. Because I kept being like, I'll read it. And then I'd read a few pages and be like, oh, you know what I could do? That task I've been putting off for three weeks. (laughs) (laughs) This is a good book to read if you think man, I want something that will just turn me off from reading for a couple of days. This book will do it. If this book is the one on the top of my pile and getting through this is what lets me read other books, this will get me out of the house. Hey, if you want to make mutiny boring <laughs> and or think to yourself, man, I could mutiny so much better than these people. This is the book for you. Oh God, you are making a really good point that they made a mutiny on a ship in the 1800s boring. They made me think that if I was on this ship, I could easily be captain within one day. (laughs) Yeah. The fact that they made her captain was terrible. It was just deeply and viscerally annoying. Not even upsetting. Just, just annoying. Okay, I'm revising. Three out of (laughs) ten. Glad I talked you down. (laughs) Good job. I, I, I was reaching for the stars. I want to give this book the benefit of the doubt. And you just swatted at my hand like you would swat this book out of the hands of children. Hey, I said I wouldn't swat it, but I would give them a little bit of a side eye, probably. Like, mm. I would but slide I mean, them a copy of a better book. I read it as a child, too. So I'd probably give them a, do you love this book? And if they said yes, I'd be like, okay, we have nothing in common, child. Why are we even talking? like, kids, someday you're going to have a podcast and you too will judge this book and your younger self and think my taste was questionable when I was a youth. (laughs) I mean, to be fair, all I had access to was one library. So I read the books in it. If I didn't like them, I just didn't read them again. That's the tough thing with this book is you see, oh man, 1800s, a girl at sea, sailors, a mutiny, murder trial. Everything in the keyword sounds great. Everything on the surface sounds great. But the actual book is the one thing that is not great. Yeah, they really, it's not as exciting as it sounds. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to disappoint you that this book about the sea is not exciting. Anyone out there listening, you can definitely pull off a mutiny better than this crew. (laughs) Just keep shooting. That's all you had to do. <laughs> I'm really worried we're going to end up on an FBI list after this podcast. I don't, I mean, I'm not a sailor and I have no intentions of mutinying anything. I just, I'm upset that they couldn't pull it off. That's true. I'm basically kind of scared of deep water and I get seasick. So I think we should both not be considered general mutineers. Although I've always thought that if I lived in the 1800s, I would have been a sailor. I really love climbing on things. You do and you're good at knots. And I'm very good at swimming. Okay, these all check out. So you would be having a mutiny in the 1800s, and the book that you lived in would be much better. I wouldn't be having a mutiny because I would get on a better ship than this one. (laughs) The one that has you and McGregor on it, but not an asshole captain. Okay, so it's never really explained why everyone in the world knows that this captain, like, some shit's going down and they all run away. Like, the porter and, like, the random guy on the street. I assume the sailing community is like any other, where there's a lot of gossip at the pubs. I mean, this was in the previous year. I guess. So word got around. Literally paid a child walking down the sidewalk to pull her trunk to the ship 
And he was like, that ship? And then literally ran away. And That's I was true. Like, really, dude? No That's one's- the other annoying part. The setup was very good. Because when you start with that, where literally everyone on the dock that they try to bring her luggage runs away in terror, that gives a really good dramatic setup that was not followed through on. I feel like that first like chapter and a half made a lot of promises that then drifted off to sea, much like this book. He just really likes foreshadowing. But there yeah. wasn't much to foreshadow. It was like, the captain did it all along. Yeah, we know, dude. Yeah. He's the only bad guy. This entire book. Twist? If she actually had done it. That would be great. And then she's in love with Ewing, and they run <laughs> off together. So we're writing the sequel. It's gonna be much better. <laughs> the true, true confessions of Charlotte Doyle. Well, that's all I have to say on this book. All I've got. I think we are out of this book and out of wine. So thank you all for joining us today. The next book that we're going to be reading will be Lois Duncan's Killing Mr. Griffin. So if you want to read along with us, feel free. Our music this week is Heartbreaker by Jazar at betterwithmusic.com. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>